We are on the air, and you are listening to the very first episode of what we hope will become a weekly podcast. Do we have a name for this podcast yet? We do not. We do not have a name. Okay. We'll, we'll get your name next. We're coming to you from the bright lights of New York, New York. I'm Joel Spolsky. And Stephanie El Cerrito. Yep. I'm Jeff Atwood. Jeff Atwood. How are you doing today? Good. Okay. It's our first podcast. Yeah, it's exciting. Very you exciting. Said, kind um, of weird to have a, an audience now. Uh, yeah, we have an audience of zero. <laughs> no, my 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 dad will listen to this. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> what do we want to talk? Do we want to tell the people what we're what we're doing here? Uh, sure, sure. So we're we're building a website. Um, one of the reasons uh, I wanted to do this was I kept getting a lot of pressure, particularly on my site. Uh, I know on Joel's blog he doesn't really have comments, but you have a separate discussion area, right? Um, yeah. I've never really had that. I just have your traditional blog comments. And those yeah. work well, but they don't really scale cool. uh, to yeah. the level that I'm seeing now. Uh, and, and I also want to go in a slightly different direction. They work good for like 20 people. Yeah, yeah, it works well to get to about. I don't know. It, people ask me, like, who reads 250 comments? And the answer is, well, I have to read them all. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a different site, and I, I feel like it's kind of rude if I don't read at least all the comments. But I'm not really sure anyone else does. Uh, so I want to harness some of that energy and maybe create some kind of developer community site where, you know, rather than just randomly commenting on things, we could actually build things that are actually useful to people, right? Not that blog comments aren't useful, but uh, I think there's... No, I would pretty much go so far as to say that blog comments are not useful. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't entirely agree with you. I mean, I think it's this question of signal to noise. Yeah, that's I, true. I, I certainly think a lot of them are, are pretty useful, and particularly once you throw in sort of a a rating-type system like Big, I think that the cream rises to the top pretty rapidly. So what we're trying to get here, I guess, I can, we could say, is a, is a place where you can ask questions, about uh, technical programming questions, because we're programmers. Uh, you can get answers and then get those answers rated and, 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 and try to have the signal rise to the top and the noise just disappear forever, hopefully. Right. And also, I liked one of your observations early on, Joel. It's, this is not another place to discuss tabs versus spaces. Right. Because uh, there's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of that as well. I mean, there's a lot of religious issues in programming. And um, one of the things I always like, you know, not to get into platform issues, but I think you brought this up before, too, is one thing I actually like about the Windows ecosystem of developers is that there's a nice focus, in, and this is generality, to be clear, uh, on sort of just getting stuff done. Right versus mm-hmm. like the elegance of a solution, <laughs> or yeah. you know how politically correct or how religiously correct is this particular solution? But just you know, hey, this is a job. We need to get things done, right? We ultimately yeah. want to make money. <laughs> the Windows programmers that I've met, the reason they're Windows programmers is because they're being super pragmatic and they just have to get their code to run on computers that people actually have. And as a result, they're very much just going to do what it takes to get the job done, and then they're going to kind of lose interest in it. And uh, to other platforms, not so much. They tend to be a little bit more, you know, idealistic, I guess. Right. I mean, there's pros and cons. And, and again, this is a broad generality, so I don't want to offend yeah. anyone. Yeah. I'm sure I will, actually. We should just make a rule. Like, you don't have to say this is a generalization. Now, it's understood that these are generalizations. Okay. I, I think sometimes the particular phrases you have to be careful. Right. I get a lot of email. I'm sure you get tons and tons of email, but I've started to get quite a bit of email. Um, I think people are often, the thing that bothers me is that people are not subtle at all. And so they are assuming that if I'm writing a blog, that I'm either pro-Microsoft or anti-Microsoft. 
And if I say something that in any way implies that Windows programmers are pragmatic, then I must be pro-Microsoft. And how could I possibly be pro-Microsoft after what they did to Netscape or whatever, you know what I mean, or after what they did to open source or after that memo with the second? In other words, they don't understand how, how you could have a nuanced approach that includes some positive and some negative things about a company as large and as diverse as Microsoft with as many different products as they have. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the, I guess the last thing I wrote was something about how IE8 was, in my opinion, making a what will, what will become a controversial decision about uh, how to treat old web pages, um, whether to run them under the IE7 emulation or under the new thing, unless you specify otherwise. And, uh, you know, I really, I, you know, I don't want to take a side on the issue because both sides result in a lot of breakage for a lot of people. Um, but I think a lot of people said, well, this is insufficiently unangry. Un in other words, it's Microsoft's fault that they got into this big mess with the browser compatibility standards, blah, blah, blah. And the only possible article, and to some people, the only article I could have written was Microsoft is, is, is bad and, and evil and cruel for, for having gotten us into this mess and nothing else matters. Nothing else you want to say about this matters. You just have to be angry at Microsoft. And any other kind of article that tries to go into what should Microsoft do now given that they've done something bad and gotten themselves into a mess, uh, it, that, that article is going to make people upset unless it says what they wanted to write, which is Microsoft is evil. Right. So fine, okay, Microsoft is evil. Next. That's not what I want to write about. People writing that. I don't care. Move on. All I want to talk about is the issue with compatibility and backwards compatibility and what you have to do to maintain it and whether or not you should because you may have your own engineering problems in the future that are based around compatibility issues like that. And if you plan for them, you won't get into the kind of mess that Microsoft did. Right. And uh, and that's what I wanted to write about. But some people, um, you know, Brewer uh, or Mark Pilgrim, just I think they read that and they're like, this this article is not angry enough at Microsoft. And so it must be pro-Microsoft and therefore I must take a contrary stance. Right. Yeah. No, I, I actually liked that article. I, I thought it was, this is going to be sad. I thought it was too long. Yeah, I was. I wasn't a huge fan of the, the first half of it, but I definitely really liked the, the last half. I thought it was very strong. At the time, I thought, well, gosh, I have to say all this stuff. But but later I realized, you know, I, if I had taken another week, I probably could have trimmed it about 30%. Yeah. No, it wasn't, but, but anyway, it was bad. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and I get into butt um, but I don't think anything you've really ever written, honestly, has been bad. Uh, I think the worst. Oh wait, I'll find something. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like say you go to a movie. That's I take that as a personal challenge. Something bad that I wrote. Are you kidding? Uh, well, no, the stuff that you publicize, I think you, uh, you know, you take a lot of care in, in terms of the way you write it. I mean, the way I write is very from the hip. I mean, I don't, I don't vet my writing. Like if you look on Paul Graham's set, you'll find, you know, oh, this article is proofread by the following ten people, <laughs> and then some name dropping. Yeah, and and then there's name dropping, which is. <laughs> Uh, there's no proofreading. It's just pretty much as it comes out, and pretty minimal editing. I, I get the impression that you put you put more thought into your writing in terms of editing and so forth. I think I probably go over the article thirty or forty times before yeah. it gets out. And I, for me, that would be like twice, like while I'm editing it. So it's it's a little bit looser. So I, I appreciate that. Um, yes, That's also about, why I don't write very much. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly an, an issue of, of scale there. Um, one issue that's that's interesting uh, with regards to Microsoft is I think Microsoft has a lot of problems now, like serious, deep, deep problems. Yeah. That yeah, I, don't like, per, I don't perceive Microsoft as being in a strong position anymore. No. Um, I, I totally respect Microsoft. There's a lot of people that work there. But in terms of the whole Microsoft monopoly, yeah. I think the weakest it has ever been, um, not in terms of absolute numbers now, but in terms of the underpinning 
of where their money comes from and, and how their business runs, they're really, really vulnerable. So yeah. I don't view it as like you need to attack them that much anymore. I think it's self-evident if you're a decent analyst at all that Microsoft has huge problems, and it's not right. at all clear that they're going to you know, overcome these problems. I, I don't know if it's clear. I mean, I, 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 there was a big hullabaloo about Gartner making some statement about how there was a what – what was the word that they used that was provocative? Disaster? Yeah, something Catastrophe. like that. <laughs> Failure, right. Katrina scale. Anyway, um, uh, the – the weird thing is that that was newsworthy, and this is something that, like, for three or four years, people have geeks, even before Vista came out, geeks have been saying there's something like seriously wrong here because the developers. I mean, it's sort of the going back to the API war. The geeks have known that it doesn't matter anymore what's on the desktop so much because all the interesting development work is happening on the web. Right. Oh, also, I want you to, and, and since you yourself brought it up, I actually uh, at your Fogbugs World Tour, one of my favorite things that you said was, uh, <laughs> remember that blog entry I did about. Uh, how there's five things you can't do on a web in a web browser. Yeah, yeah. And like now you can do all those five things. Yeah, like underlying get all five of them. <laughs> but I mean, one, that, one summer. <laughs> no, I, I, I give you trying to discredit because you're right. I mean, nobody yeah. can see the. It's so hard to see the future, right? Like nobody really saw the browser as being this strong of a platform, but clearly it really is. Sometimes it's kind of weird. You extrapolate the wrong way. Like for example, um, when when the browsers first came out. I kept thinking, gosh, there's something, the HTML protocol, there's something wrong with, with this because uh, I was working at MSN at Microsoft and we had a different protocol for multimedia, for hypertext multimedia that was based on help files, basically. So you'd write a Microsoft help file instead of an HTML page. I mean, this is because HTML was just not known then. I mean, like literally there was one, at Microsoft, if you wanted to see the web, you went to the library where there was one computer that was connected to the web in those days. And this was like literally 1994, 1994. 1994 or something. So it was before you know anybody had the web. So it's not not to blame them too much. But uh, but they had this idea. They wanted a multimedia thing with hyperlinks and stuff like that for creating content for for MSN. And uh, the first idea was just to use help files. They already had this multimedia format with hyperlinks. And um, and they actually had in the protocol that they built instead of using something simple like HTTP where you just get the file, they had a slightly more sophisticated protocol where you got the text first. And you got the dimensions of the pictures so that space could be left for the pictures. And then you got a very blurry pic copy of the picture, and then you got a sharp, sharper picture of the picture. So the text would appear, like, right away. And we were, in those days, you know, 9,600 baud modems were the fastest you could get. Most people were 2,400 uh, or 9,600. Um, I think there might have been, 19.2 might have been on the horizon. I'm not really sure, but they were going to build MSN on this crazy frame relay dial-up system that would have been lucky to see 4,800 baud. Anyway, uh, it, it seemed like you needed a protocol that showed you the text first and sent the pictures later. Uh, and um, HTML in those days did not do that. It was as soon as the web browser would be like, oh, there's a picture, and it would basically start trying to download that as well even though there was maybe some text that it should have gotten first. I don't know. The, the point, the, the story I'm trying to tell is that the web looked not very good. It looked kind of clunky, and it looked like it would never be as good as what you could do with a specialized protocol. But then, of course, the speed of all these things improved, and it just didn't matter what order you did things in, and the limitations of HTTP turned out to be its strengths. And the web really did sort of take over the world. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I had sort of looked at early versions of the web and said, well, that's kind of clunky, and... Um, we could build something a lot slicker and a lot more professional looking. Uh, and I, I was kind of wrong about that. And then, um, and then, you know, sort of years later, I was looking at the early WAP websites, 
and everybody was saying WAP is crap and WAP is slow and these web browser phones are just awful and any kind of web experience you have on a phone is just going to be ghastly. And I thought, you know, but that's what I thought about the web, so maybe the phone experience will just get better. And it didn't. It really never did. Well, I would think the iPhone, right? Well, the iPhone is not the web experience. That's just a, sh- that's just a shrunk desktop browser, basically. But, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I think that actually turns out to be the future is the, the handheld right. devices are so right. powerful. Right. They become mini desktops and then... Yeah, but they're doing, they're doing the same thing as the desktops are doing, and that's the only way to make it work. And indeed, like, WAP just never did evolve into something fast enough and nice enough that it could become better. Uh, what was the point of this? I guess the point of the story is sort of like sometimes you're looking at something and you can't see the future because you don't extrapolate enough. And so you say, eh, this sucks, but you're not extrapolating to when it's going to be really good. And sometimes the opposite problem happens is you extrapolate too much and you say, hey, this is, uh, um, you know, this is crap and it's going to get much better, and it never does. Right. Well, that's bubble 1.0, right? Yeah. You know, everybody's going to shop online even though they don't have broadband and right, they're all right, behind right. modems. And, right. Know, these are rich web experiences that were just yeah. way, way ahead of the time. Definitely. At, at MSN in 1993... We were all thinking around 1996, the whole country is going to be wired up for broadband. So they'll basically be able to have, I think at that time, people were actually predicting that in 1996, people would have enough bandwidth into their home for four television channels at once. Wow. And that was, um, what was the, it was MPEG-1. I think we're possible. only 10 years off with that prediction. MPEG-1 was 150. Uh, yeah. I mean, it would, have, it would have worked at DSL speeds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So getting back to, to what we're doing, and I think the reason this ties in is, is one of the reasons we think this, this site will hopefully matter is that we believe that programmers are going to learn online. That's right. Well, one thing is we're noticing is the book, the programming book market has just completely vanished, fallen apart catastrophically. The programmers I know don't really learn new technologies from a book anymore. What they do is they find a tutorial on the web, maybe, uh, and they try to do something, and then they page fault in knowledge. Basically, they, they get stuck on something, and they either post a discussion group or they type their question into Google. And those are the two things we want to serve, basically, is the posting to the discussion group and typing things into Google. You know, kind of our, our long-term goal, if we're successful, is that you type it, you're trying to figure out how to do, you know, I don't know, something in Python. You're like, how do I merge two arrays in Python? And so you go to Google and you type merge two arrays Python and submit that, and our goal is to be the number one hit that comes up with a really good, well-edited answer to that question that some, some individual has contributed and maybe other individuals have edited. Right. And also to reduce the friction, kind of like what Twitter and Tumblr did for blogging, where, yeah, we could have a blog, some guy who, you know, loves Python, read a whole blog entry about, you know, how to merge arrays in Python, right? Well, first of all, it seems like kind of a weird topic for an entire blog entry. I mean, I guess you could. Um, but right. a lot of this stuff ends up being buried on, like, forums or documentation that nobody clicks through to. Like, yeah. a classic example, and not that I need to pick on Microsoft. I feel bad, actually. <laughs> but, like, the MSDN documentation yeah. site. So it's actually pretty good. It's, it's just they, the way they set it up is so painful, right? It's almost a formatting problem more than an actual Oh, yeah, absolutely, because it's not true HTML. Things move around. When you find them on Google, on the they're never they're never there. That tree on the left just kills me. Yeah, what's what's that? That that's never worked on the internet. Yeah, yeah I, well, again, it's, they can't let go of the whole desktop metaphor, right? Like right. this drives me crazy. Like websites that oh, I, I need to look like a Windows application or even an you know an OS X application. This is really wrong. Like if I have an app that looks like a desktop app, I'm like you failed. Like immediately you failed, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get the fact that this is a different medium. It should look different. It should not look like the old way. We're trying to get away from the old way. There are problems with that. Yeah, so. 
And then they put everything between a live behind a live.com firewall, which is the new name for Passport. Right. Uh, so you can't even get Amnesty anymore. It's not being searched properly by Google. Their own search sucks. Um, so basically, they're 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 constitutionally incapable of. A lot of people are, who have the documentation are constitutionally incapable of putting it up on the net in a format that's actually searchable and findable of things. That's not true of everybody. Um, but also the trouble is another thing that I've noticed happens. Let's say, um, uh, okay, so I've got a I've got a Mac at home, and uh, in order to connect to my desktop to, to work, um, I use uh, Copilot. But I don't always use Copilot because it's kind of slow. So <laughs> thing called remote desktop connection because I have a VPN all set up, and there's a Mac client for remote desktop connection, and uh, there's a new version of the Mac client for remote desktop connection. It's really good, uh, only it's in beta. And it took them much longer than they expected to actually ship the damn thing, so the beta expired, and so you couldn't run it. So then you go search for on the on the internet for Mac, you know, remote desktop connection beta expired, and you get all kinds of uh, um, uh, discussion people discussing what to do and how to work around this problem, and how stupid is Microsoft that they can't solve this problem. And what's interesting is within I, I would say five days. Microsoft had indeed released a new version of it with the, the time that was the expiration removed. So it's still the beta because it's still late, but it's not actually telling you that it's expired anymore. Right. Um, so that's fine. But here's the point. In the meantime, all those previous blog articles about this thing being removed are still the results that you're getting from Google. And so the number one result from Google doesn't know about the new thing, the fix. In other words, there's something that kind of happens when something is broken and then gets fixed. The brokenness gets into Google and gets page rank, and that tends to sort of dominate the results for a long time because it's got the earliest dates on it. And a lot of times, you're trying to solve something, and you find a discussion on the Internet that's saying, hey, the solution to this problem is there is no solution. You are borked, and you can't do anything about it, and that's wrong. That's no longer correct. You're not actually looking at the correct information anymore. So one of the things that, you know, one of our goals is to have uh, a place where if somebody posts a wrong answer or they post an answer that used to be right but it becomes wrong, but there's a way to remove that and to get that out of the site and to get their n new right answer up at the top of the page. Yeah, so it's very Wikipedia-like in that sense. I mean, there's sort of a flavor right. of, of wiki to what we're going to do. And I do agree with that because that's the problem with blog entries is like when you write about something, at the point in time, that's why dates are so important. When you go yeah. to content and there's no date, it's like, well, I'm hosed. I don't know when this was written, so I blogged yeah. content. I still, get, I still get angry email in which I said that it was a mistake for the Netscape guys to uh, uh, rewrite the whole browser from scratch. They should have started with their existing code base. And I believe it took, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it took six years. No, how long did it take between Firefox between the last version of Netscape and the first version of Firefox shipping? Oh, it was a long time. It was. A I think it was like I think it was three or four years at least. Anyway, they were, a, they were definitely they definitely lost a couple of years there by starting from scratch. And I think that article is still correct. And I think that those those few years that they lost while they rewrote basic things that had already been working in the original version of Netscape. Uh, you know, like when they rewrote those sort of from a, in a green field from a clean slate instead of just trying to you know, even use the old code as a blueprint at the very least. Um, but those, those few years that they lost probably correspond to the same period in which IE went from 0% market share to 90% market share. And so now Firefox has to claw its way up from the bottom. But anyway, I still get email from people saying, oh, it, you know, it looks like you were wrong because Firefox is now shipping. <laughs> Something as if that proves me wrong that, 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 you know, later. And I'm like, look at the deal. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I'm torn there because I, I remember reading that at the time, going, "Oh, he's right." You know, Netscape is so dead. But then it's like you know, Firefox and like you know, the Phoenix. It's like such a great name. Right. Um, really did. You know, you contribute much of their success to the whole green. They came back from from the dead. They're still not a 50% market share. No, of course not. I don't. I don't know what they are. What they are at? That's probably debatable. But you know, I think they it's are. like, gosh, I don't know. I think it's really high in Europe in some areas. I don't know what it is in the U.S. I would say around. Gosh, I don't even want to say because I'll probably be wrong. It's, it's, yeah. I would say 10 to 20 percent, just as a guess. Yeah, it, it depends, and it's probably like it's probably much higher among tech savvy people. Oh, way, um, way, way higher. Yeah, absolutely. And the good news is that it is high enough that that everybody ha- knows that they have to test in Firefox. Well, yeah, that's and to me that's the important thing. Is we've gone to an ecosystem where there's Coke and Pepsi finally, because yeah. I do think, you know, if you look at sort of you know commercial markets, there is a strong argument you make that there needs to be at least one strong competitor for things to really move forward. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The whole Microsoft problem, people say this about Microsoft, and it really is true. Unless somebody's really pushing them, they're going to just stop. Yeah, yeah, like IE is the classic example. Um, yeah. So it's absolutely important that there be other contenders for, for the market to work. Well, maybe you could argue that that's why Vista was such a, such a dud, is that they didn't notice anybody pushing them, and now uh, now that there's Leopard and that pretty much a lot of the Windows users are, not a lot, but uh, there are enough people that are switching to Mac now. They may feel threatened by that and feel like they have to uh, say something, like actually add some features that people want in the next operating system. Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of truth there. So kind of weird. I was just thinking, I was just thinking how pissed I am that you can't, you won't be able to get XP anymore, because I just, I just know that I, I can't give my parents Vista. I don't want them to get, you know. And I, yeah, I always tell people, you know, get a, if you, if you have to get a Windows PC, at least get XP on it. What's the, Although what's I probably the, I actually like. This, I think the start menu is way better. What, what yeah. specifically? Would you point to that you don't like about Vista? Um, what I don't like about Vista, for for me personally, is that a lot of stuff has moved. For example, if I go into network connection, stuff is just not in the same place as it used to be. And it's still there, but it's in a different place, so there's a different way of getting it. And I don't know those new places. And eventually, I guess I would learn them, but I just don't know where they are. And uh, so for me, it's like you've, you've moved a bunch of stuff around, so everything that I try to do is not where I expect it. And it's a little bit frustrating when I'm trying to get stuff done. And... What I get for this is nothing. In other words, there's, there are no other benefits to me that I can perceive from switching to Vista. That's fair because I think it's, it's true that Vista not doesn't add much, right? Yeah, I mean, if it added just one or two things that I wanted, I mean, I know it added things, but nothing I want. Yeah. Then, 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 it worth it. like for example, when I when I updated Mac to uh, Leopard on on my Mac. Um, it had spaces, which I love, and I use that all the time, and that's awesome, and that's like. It's just a small thing. They can put that in Windows in 10 minutes. And that's enough for me to s- switch to Leopard. Right. And you know, and then I'll undergo some pain if I have to get used to the option key and the command key being in different places or whatever it takes getting used to. I can deal with that. But if I'm going to get nothing and all you've done is rearrange things so I don't know how to do things, I mean, there's a lot of stuff where I've memorized ways of doing things. Like I know directly what control panel to go to. It's bad enough in XP. You go into the control panel. You have to click on that switch to classic mode so you can find anything. And then, otherwise, it's gonna just it's just put different names on stuff and it's jumbled it around in places where you don't recognize it. Right. No, I think that's fair. Um, I, I just an interesting time. I, I would put to two features that I really like in Vista. One, the start menu is huge. I can put uh, the Windows key and type what I want. It's very yeah, I've got, I've got this thing. What's this thing called that I've? Uh, I'm well, yeah, but right you have to install that. I mean, this launchy. Is like, yeah, yeah. But you have to install that. I mean, I'm a big fan. Oh, of it's it. worth it. I think stuff should be built in. Like, I yeah, it should. Yeah, and the fact that everything's indexed, like I can just. 
you know, any keyword, if it's in my documents folder, the indexing actually really works. It's very Google-like. Also, the way every Explorer window has, if you hit Control-E, like in your browser, it goes to the search box, just like it does in your browser. So it really unifies the browser world and the desktop e world. Search? Oh, yeah, look at that. Control-E is search. Yeah. yeah, just like in your browser. It works exactly the same way in Explorer now in Vista. So there's sort of a grand unification of the way things work. But, but I, I definitely hear you in terms of there's, it didn't change a lot of things. And that might work. It might, you know what? It may even be, for me, the other problem I may have with Vista is that I put it on this cheap Dell Latitude 620, cheapest laptop you've ever seen. I mean, it's your high-end laptop, too. But it's just like the keyboard is crap, and it's just got all these little plastic parts all over the place. And it's clunky and ugly and heavy and it's just a yucky laptop. Yeah. And, uh, what I have, so I, I just have a bad experience whenever I run Vista. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. I think Vista definitely has much higher hardware requirements. Just it's doing a lot more stuff in the background. Right, 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 right. And then plus, oh, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to harp on this because I always talk about this in my blog. But I'm a, I'm a very, very outspoken critic of the whole security model. You know, the fact that everybody runs administrators, so they had to put in all these weird hacks, all yep. these performance, you have to have Defender running, you have to have antivirus. All this stuff costs performance, like, big time, right? People say, oh, I just, you just need this stuff. But like, this destroys, your essentially, your disk I.O. performance mainly. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a kind of an expert, but I've never had any kind of antivirus or well, yeah. protective, and I've never yeah. had any Yeah, and virus, I don't want to so. open that whole can of worms, but I will say that, you know, Vista may be perceived being slower because it has a lot more security stuff in it. Like it has Defender, it has the indexing. It has I'll tell you what's perceived as being slower. Yesterday I opened my Vista laptop, which I hadn't used for two weeks, to watch a video. Now, why was I watching the video on my Vista laptop? Because the stupid iMac, MacBook Air, um, just does not have sufficient cooling. So if you try to watch an hour TV show or something, unless you literally hold it up in the air, it doesn't cool enough to be able to. And so what happens is you've got two CPU, two, two CPU cores in there. Yes. Yeah. And it gets hot enough that it shuts down one of them, and then you don't have enough CPU power to watch video. Anyway, oh, wow. Which is I had not anyway. heard that about the, the air. Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people carping about it on the net. And they have a uh, they have a hot fix that made the fan go on a little sooner, and it sort of solves it. But the problem is that, like many laptops, the fan is on the bottom surface, and the only thing that keeps the fan from being blocked by whatever the laptop is sitting on is those little rubber feet. Um, but if you put the laptop on your lap, or if you put it on a pillow on your lap, or if you're just trying to like lie back on the couch and hold it on your knees or something, uh, it, it blocks the fan, and so the laptop can't can't cool itself. But even if you put, and so they say, oh well, you're not, you know, the only way you can use a laptop, and it says this in the manual, is if you actually put it on a desk. But sometimes if you put it on a desk, it still doesn't cool enough to watch uh, more than an hour of video. It seems kind of funky, which is really upsetting. So anyway, so I pop out the Dell 620 which is twice as heavy and clunky and ugly and yucky and stuff like that. And I try to watch video. And in the background, without telling me, it has decided to reinstall something. I don't know what. And there's some process running that's just slamming the hard drive and driving the CPU up to 100%. That runs, and it's some kind of Windows. All I can tell is that it's the Windows uh, installation service, the WMI installation service. And I never asked for this, and I never approved it, and I never checked OK. And it just runs for the first 20 minutes while the video stutters. You know, it just sort of parks on my hard drive. So I think there's, there's sort of a lot of, like, I don't remember giving giving it permission just to install stuff. Yeah. No, there's a ton of stuff that goes in the background that's a huge, yeah. hugely increased. All that, all that indexing, which I, I always turn off just because I don't, you know, I, I, when you have a laptop, you, you, you sometimes you're on the plane and you don't want it to just waste 
battery power. Well, it, it does actually disable it when it's in battery mode. The indexing okay. is smart, but not everything in Vista is smart. And, you know, it's it's sort of designed by committee, right? That's the other problem yeah. with Vista. And I, remember your start menu article? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think that's an a, example of designed by committee, committee where yeah. you don't get, a, like, the, the jobs-like figure who's just dictating, oh, no, it's going to be this way, this is the right clean. Yeah. You have to satisfy everybody, and so you have... Some parts of this I think are very good, and some parts I'm just can't turn that off immediately, right? There's something very interesting about like uh, if, if you if you study like architecture or or design or something. There's a concept of the minimalist design, of, of minimalism in architecture, and it takes ten times as much work to make something truly minimalist than to make something decorated. So the classic example is look up, look up at your ceiling, and look at, look to where the wall hits the ceiling in whatever room you're in. Um, do you have any kind of molding up there? No, we don't. You don't have molding. So the wall just hits the ceiling and it's like a nice clean curve. It just goes, it's just a square 45 degree angle where the wall hits the ceiling. That's right. Okay, so that's really hard to achieve that look. If you have that, then the builder had to work really hard to make that nice and clean. And the reason is because it's just hard to get these things to line up exactly and to not look stupid and to not crack and to all that kind of stuff. The molding was usually there because it hides all kinds of sins, basically. You probably have molding on the floor. Um, between the floor and the wall, which yeah. is there to hide the fact that it's impossible to make the floor really flat. Right. And the minimalist look is that look of, let's just have a 45-degree angle there with no molding. It looks cleaner and, and sharper and more modern. But that takes much more work. It costs more in labor, and it's just sort of more effort to get that right than if you can just slap a piece of molding on there and cover up whatever mess you made when you tried to get the floor really flat or when you tried to get the wall to line up with the floor or whatever the case may be. No, so, I think that's an excellent point. I think Microsoft is their own biggest enemy right now, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I don't think they really, they really need anyone like Gruber to attack them. I think they're doing a fine job of attacking themselves yeah. at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, don't worry. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll screw themselves seriously. So when, you look at, when you look at a MacBook Air and you look at probably, uh, or let's not take a MacBook Air, let's take a MacBook, which is really just the equivalent laptop. Not, it's not like uniquely thin. It's just a laptop. Um, but enormous amounts of effort have gone into removing seams, removing lines, removing all kinds of things that would make it kind of non-minimalist. I mean, even just looking at the bottom of a ThinkPad versus the bottom of a MacBook and just the number of, like, vents and ribs and buttons. Like, my, my the, most ThinkPads have, like, a little modem uh, operating thing taped on at the bottom, like, literally with cell phone, cell, cellophane tape. Right. They've got, you know, barcodes. They've got... FCC stickers. They got something here in Chinese. I don't know what it says. There's a oh, window right. light yeah, the, on, on the bottom. Yeah, all the stickers on the bottom. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and there's like 18 different little holes and vents and clips and I don't know what and buttons and screws and uh, and when you look at the bottom of a if you just count the number of features on the bottom of a laptop and compare Mac versus uh, an Intel laptop or a Win Win Wintel laptop, uh, the Mac has far fewer and every one of those screws, holes, rivets, seams that they've removed is uh, was done at enormous effort. Like a lot of effort went into figuring out how to not have the thing be there. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that's ironic because it seems like that's what you schedule after to turn it over, right? The part you mm -hmm. don't see is more indicative of the design effort than the part on top, the obvious part, right? Yeah. Because you're right, I didn't even think that if you flip any, even the nicer Windows laptop, like I have a, a Dell XPS, 1330, which is pretty sexy for a Dell. I mean, it's very thin and very clean lines. But if you turn it over, you're right. It's like a mishmash of labels and FCC tags and. and That's where all this garbage went. And if you look on a if you look on a on a on a, on a MacBook like the, those labels, they won't do that. And they'll do it like in a silver colored paint 
that's carefully chosen to disappear as much as possible in the smallest legal font that they can put it on if there's something that legally has to be there. I got another neat one. Actually, my wife pointed this out of all people. But the uh, I feel like an idiot for saying this, but like camera phones have a little mirror on the back, like <laughs> so you can see yourself. I guess this is a big thing. Yeah. Like camera phones. Yeah. Take, taking a picture of yourself. It never yeah. occurred to me. I don't know why. But I, I was like, what is this shiny thing? I thought it was some you know <laughs> yeah. piece of equipment. But she said, if you look at the iPhone, the Apple logo is the mirror. The Apple logo uh, is very very shiny, and that's what it's for, right? Cool. Like, isn't that cool? It serves double use. They don't have to have this stupid bumpy, yeah. you know, driver mirror <laughs> hanging off the back of their phone. They have the shiny Apple logo. You can look at yourself and take a picture. So I thought that Absolutely. was very, very clever. I also something I talk about in my speeches a lot is how I think one of the reasons that people like the iPod and the iPhone is that seamlessness. And part of the reason that, that seamlessness is there, or one way that they achieve that seamlessness is they don't let you change the battery. There's no, because they don't want to have a battery cap. Like they don't want there to be a panel that you remove that has to have a seam all around it. It has to have little nubbins that you can push, like to provide friction to remove it. And that's just a feature that they didn't want to have, and it wasn't worth it to them to let you change the battery. They're like, just don't change the battery. It's something you do once a year. And uh, I think people don't like the honesty. There, there's certain honesty in consumer culture. Where it's like most people's iPhones are really going to just throw them away at the end or recycle them, hopefully. They're not really going to buy five batteries and use that phone for the next ten years, right? Uh, yeah, it's I mean, there's some usefulness. I, sometimes I forget to charge my phone, and luckily I've always got a battery that's charged. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, the way I use my—I'm probably the worst example. But the way I use my phone, pretty much the embedded battery is the better solution for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's just—it's just a trade-off. But they sort of, in order to get that minimalism, in order to get the clean, the clean perfection kind of, you have to have. You have to expend physical effort. You have to have people that are fighting for minimalism. You have to have people that are saying, let's just have one way to turn it off that you don't have to think about. Right. And then one way to turn it on, and we just figure it out. And, and, and yeah, I know that there, it's, there's a good reason to have nine different ways of turning off a computer, but let's just fight to get it down to one. Right. And that takes a lot of fighting. And I think, actually, I have heard from, from uh, sources uh, that, that that is going on now at Microsoft, actually, in regards to the shutdown menu, at least. So we'll see if that's some version of the operating system comes out with fewer ways of turning it off. Right. So bringing this back to what we're doing, and I think the reason this discussion is important is I truly believe in this minimalism. And certainly if you look at my blog, it's like mm-hmm. I get very excited when I can remove something from my blog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember going through in the comments and removing the uh, remember my settings checkmark. I'm like, I'm just going to remember your settings, right? Yeah. I'm going to assume you want that. I don't want a checkbox that says remember my settings. Yeah. Like, I don't want to think about that, right? So, right. And I think the same rules are going to apply to Stack Overflow. And, and actually, we're kind of... Oh, yeah, we have a name, Stack Overflow. Did you get the domain name? Yeah, we do have it. And oh, I, want to, I want to talk a little bit about the voting process that went on. In your possession? It is. It is in my possession. I actually put up a little tiny landing page with a funny little cartoon. So if you're curious, you can go there and see it. Oh, I don't want to spoil the prize. Oh, it's a cartoon. <laughs> I, I, know that, I know the book that that's from, actually. I have yeah. that book. I just like that. I just like the uh, the magic. So we're going to make the magic happen, right? We're just going to invoke a miracle at this point. Because <laughs> so, it feels like, you know what we're doing now, and I, I talked about this on my blog, is we're going through essentially uh, paper prototypes. I'm actually using a, a graphics editor because I, I actually suck at writing. Uh-huh. Pen. Uh, but that's what we're doing. Um, and the names uh, that we came up with, and I don't want to cover the top four, so the winner was Stack Overflow. In terms of voting, because I'm looking yeah. at the voting, there's 6,790 votes. Holy. Yeah, there's how many? 6,790. Stackoverflow.com, one way. That's the population of Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think even Wyoming does a little more than that. That's a lot of people. Okay, yeah. So Stack, Stack Overflow, Overflow, 
won with uh, 25% of the vote. Uh, yeah. Private Void. Yeah. Uh, now, Joel and I talked about this, and we decided we liked that. There's a lot of names we liked, and naming is I'm, really I'm Joel, hard. Joel is me. Yes. 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 Oh, you're, you're talking to our audience. I'm talking to the audience. I'm not talking to you, oh, Joel. You're not even, you're just, you're just accidental at this point. <laughs> the audience is totally here. <laughs> anyway, this, that hasn't shut this off by now. <laughs> it's 37 minutes into this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, uh, so Private Void. Now, Private yeah. Void, I just felt had weird connotations, and I think you agreed. Just, yeah. Using the bathroom once. Sort of like a bat. Oh, yeah, using the bathroom. Or it's also a kind of a, a like, like a Beetle Bailey kind of character. He's oh, a private, private in the void. army, and he's got no brains. Yeah. So we call him Private Void. Yeah. Then under that, uh, dereferenced. I kind of like dereferenced. It seemed a little snarky, kind of like defamer. Like. Yeah. It made me a little nervous. I don't know. It just seems kind of like a negative. You know, I don't want to positive. Yeah. Stack Overflow is positive. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, it's overflowing with awesomeness. That's the way yeah, I like exactly. It. Oh, it's a, it's a terrific name. Yeah, you you set you set it all up. You don't have room for all the awesome, so we're gonna put some on our website. So we should. I should mention to the listeners, since you're addressing our imaginary listeners. Yes. Uh, we're gonna set up a, an email address somewhere. Do we have that yet? Uh, I can. But right. what do you have in mind? Uh, we'll just set up an email address. People can call in, and no, how do they call into an email address? They record a little MP3 file. And email it to that email address. Or, you know what, they just email a question. We can read their questions, right? And No, no, we, you got to get them talking, definitely. Okay, all right. Totally. They Ask, email so it has MP3. to be a recording of them asking a yes. question. Yeah, you got to record yourself asking a question and a maximum or a comment or an idea or something that you thought of, and it's got to be like 90 seconds. Any more than that, and you're just cut off, dude, because I'm not sitting here editing these things in Audacity. So just record a little MP3 uh, with a question, a comment, a suggestion, an idea, um, you know, or just love and affection, and email it to an email address to be determined. Yeah, we'll put that up if we put when and if we put these podcasts. We'll yeah, wherever you see these podcasts, look around there for an email address. We'll mention it in the next show, and uh, it works much better when you just you're able to say, "Hey, and we got a we got this message here from Floyd in Tempe, Arizona, who has a suggestion," and then we can play it and talk about it, ridicule it. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to cover the, the vote is because really I, I do value, I mean, the whole reason I have my book, the reason it's become this big thing is the community around it. And I wanted to yeah. you know, tap into that and have, you know, I, naming is hard and, you know, they should have a hand in that too, right? Yeah, um, and didn't I mean, Stack Overflow won by a lot, right? A lot. It's yeah. Not quite double, but close. And and and, and that's that's enough to make you feel like, okay, we've touched, this is a, this is a better name. Yeah. Although there were, there were, I, I, in the interest of, of fairness, other got six percent. So that other means to me all your names suck. Yeah. So it means other by a lot, which is important because if you're not getting other, then you, it's just noise. And you have a bunch of bad names. Yeah. So, so the final name I, I do want to talk about, the other one that beat other that was still a contender, is Humble Developer. Now, Humble Developer is good because um, yeah, it's sort of the famous uh, essay, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, Edgar. I, I don't want to try to say it. Is it Dijkstra? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Dijkstra. Is that right? Is that the pronunciation? I'm yeah. horrible with pronunciations. But, uh, it's, it's Dijkstra. The Humble Programmer is a really, really famous essay, right? And I totally believe in that. That's one of the first things as a developer you want to do is say, you know, I, I suck. Like, you've got to acknowledge your own suckiness. Like that's but you see, Stack Overflow is not for the humble developer. It is for the arrogant developer who hasn't bothered to RTFM and is now looking things up because he thinks he's so hot shit that he doesn't have to learn the programming language before he starts banging away code. And now he's run into a problem and he's asking people how to append to. Right. And, and that's fair. And I think people saw that and said, hey, Jeff, what you do on your blog, 
this is supposed to, and they're yeah. right about that. But what this site, Stack Overflow, is going to be doing is a little bit different than what I do. So that's why yeah. I do think it was an appropriate name for for me because people were asking, I was like, why don't you just make it forums.codinghorror.com? And I was like, well, you know, I don't really. I'm trying to make something a little bit different uh, than that. And some of the other names that were suggested were quite funny as well. One that I liked, and I didn't get any feedback from you on this, was development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was very funny. <laughs> Those are, you, you, the trouble is, you don't want something that that can't be read out loud. Or yeah. that, that needs to be explained how to say. Like you want something that when you say it the first time, people who are literate in English will be able to take it the first time. Well, you know that coding horror gets misheard as coding whore a lot. You know that, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, I didn't even thought of that one yet. There you go. Coding. Did you register coding ho? Uh, coding whore. Uh, actually, uh, uh, my. Well, just register it without the. It is registered letters. to a friend of mine. Uh, actually, the, Scott, the CEO of the company, who worked for Virgo, registered actually uh, just for me as a gift. Actually, That's a very nice one. Coding hoe. Coding hoe. Coding hoe. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's okay. Codingslut.com is pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever read? Oh gosh, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, coding. Yeah, coding slave. Yeah. Who's that? That sounds familiar. Oh gosh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, he's a, he's a character. Um, so what I have today is, is I have comps. I don't know how this is going to work on a podcast-type format. Yeah. Um, did you want to do that now? What is a comp? A design comp, in other words. Oh, yeah. These are like the paper prototypes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't you email those to Well, it's in, it's in the wiki. You know where oh, it's is. in the wiki. Yeah. We are using Fogbugs. And I must say, Fog, Fogbugs is truly an excellent product. I have I have enjoyed using Fogbugs. I would buy it again and again. Good. It's broken. Uh, remember me. Why doesn't it remember me? Here we go. Okay. Uh, paper prototypes. All right. I'll have to go over this. Question is, do we want to do we want to like uh, put these up on the web somewhere people can look at them? I don't think, based on the early feedback I've gotten from just trying to explain what we're doing, it was yeah. bad. Okay, never mind. Because people, you need something more for people to look at to see understand what it is. Yeah, so I gonna, think we need to go through at least one cycle on the paper prototypes before we show anybody anything. Fair enough. The people, the people, the first thing that people will see will be like a really really rough data that just sort of has some basic functionality there. I can start giving us feedback yeah. on that. Yeah, because you need, well, you've been through this a million times. People don't really understand what it is until you put it in front of them. That they right. can touch it in some way. I mean, that's why paper prototypes can kind of work, but I think it's better to have something a little more fleshed out. Okay. We should talk about, um, so we'll come back to this. Uh, we should talk about, you just sent me a random email talking about some, some, some of the horrible QA sites that are out there, like, uh, like Askville. Well, I, I wouldn't say horrible. I think the problems that these sites have, and 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 actually, Jared, the other. How do I beat the Big Daddy in Bioshock? <laughs> yeah, that's a great oh. question. But, Wait, but that's easy. Yeah, I shoot it a lot. Uh, the problem these sites have is they're they're, they're everything, right? It, it's sort of like walking into Blockbuster, you know, they rented movies physically, and like, what do I want to watch? It's like, well, who knows? There's like drama, yeah. there's action, there's comedy. Yeah. Who knows what you want? Yeah, but when you're on the plane and there's only six choices, yeah, it's easy. Right, right. So I think having a developer community um, that's targeted around, you know, programmers and, you know, programming topics, and again, yeah. not religious stuff, but specific things you're trying to do, 
in a programming language or an environment. I think that narrows it down substantially. And also, I did I actually say, try asking some programming questions on AskL. I'm not no, absolutely nowhere. Oh yeah, no, no, no you can do a search. Was, you search for yeah. C sharp or something, and you'll get yeah. garbage. It's like the worst stuff you've ever seen. It's horrible. It's 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 at a much lower level than our audience will uh, will be at. The other thing i got to say is I, I'm glad we have a technical audience because mm -hmm. a lot of the users of these systems are very unsophisticated, as in the all-caps answer type unsophisticated. What, um, will C-sharp completely replace C++? So what do you <laughs> See, you should answer that one. I think you're uniquely, you know, skilled to answer that question. But that's just to say, that's like a question that reveals sort of a, a level of... Um, that's a good question. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a question that reveals kind of a lack of sophistication. Yeah. I remember once, uh, like, I was in, uh, sitting in the computer lab at school, and uh, the I guess I must have been a sophomore or something, but the, but the freshman class had just come into the computer lab for the first time, and they were all just sort of hanging out with the computers. And there was this one uh, uh, kid there who was trying to impress a girl, and she was, like, asking him all these questions and sort of, you know, trying to be a little bit, I guess, in a flirty way. And he was just sort of being like the man who knows everything about computers and telling her all the answers. Yeah. She's like, so what exactly is C++? And he's like, well, the history of programming languages is that they started out with a language called C, and then they improved that, and they made a language called C+. And we're now on this thing called C++, which is the most improved language. And, and he was saying that like he absolutely knew what he was talking about, just to sort of impress her. Well, I love that story because the idea that the guy is totally oblivious to the girls flirting with him is just too perfect. I mean, that, that happens. Uh, that was also true. I, maybe he wasn't oblivious. Maybe he was just kind of. No, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I. Yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. Some of these, but it's not that he was a geek. He was just kind of more of a show off. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's more important to us guys, right? Yeah. All right. Um, so before we let this go too long, we might want to yeah. actually end the, the podcast part. Let us end the podcast because we're because I think we probably want a maximum podcast length around an hour. Or so. Oh yeah, even an hour actually is a little long. It's going to drive the people crazy. Uh, yeah, so we're going to have to be a little careful. We might actually want to even edit this a little. What? I know. No, I, know. I like your original I idea of the podcast. Be an hour, dude. That's if, the podcast has to be a side effect of the conversations we're having anyway. True. 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 So, so I think we just have to stay focused. On yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and rang. I have to go pay the mortgage. Okay, so uh, so we're going to end the podcast for this week. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of something that will have a name. Right, and it can only get better from here. I just want to... We have to think of, you know what? Let's come up with a name. It's like Stack Overflow Podcast. Podcast Overflow, Stack Overflow. The, it's the Stack Overflow Podcast. That's terrible. <laughs>